And today, this will be the last testimony I will give as a member of the leadership. Democrats were shuddering privately just right. a few days ago about how big the margin was going to be. Republicans were predicting a red wave, but they may end up with the same slim majority Democrats have had for the last two years. We are going to take the House back. But we've got so much more to do, and I have only begun to fight. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Welcome back to a very high-energy, ruthless variety program. Good Thursday to you, Smug, Duncan, Ashbrook. Full compliment here. Hey, fellas. It's good to be here. And like that opening quote of just hearing Nancy Pelosi being like, well, my days in leadership are over. God bless. That's it. Oh, no. That's it. It's so good to hear. And, And again, thank you to all the voters out there. Who made that happen? Yeah, no, it's a big deal. We, we, we've overlooked it because it is a very big deal. And just hearing those words come out of yeah. her mouth is She's basically... She's like, well, I'm toast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful feeling. How you guys, how you doing with the holiday season? Everybody got gifts and stuff? I've been trying. So I, I warn folks about this. I have noticed an insane uptick. Like, I, you know, for family and whatever, I've been ordering gifts. All shipping delays. Like, nonstop shipping delays. And I'm trying to, like... So I struggle, number one, with wrapping the gift. You're right? not, you're I, not I, a wrapper. I don't wrapper. know how to do it. I don't know what we could never have predicted. Yeah, yeah, I have zero idea when I do that. Wouldn't you love to see sm- a, g- a, a wrapped gift? I'd like smug? to see the finished product. product. <laughs> well, well, so here's the hack. It's is like, like crumpled up newspaper. <laughs> so you can you can get these like a uh, uh, you know like a gift box that already has like a Christmas pattern on it. So you put the thing in there and just hit it with some scotch tape and it's a done deal. Right? I've done my job. <laughs> yeah, my, my my hack is bags. Bags, bags yeah. in the tissue paper. That oh, is that is good. But everybody knows that's super lazy. Yeah, no, I cared, but I'm not good at wrapping. But that's the, what it says. The bags are are festive. Like they've got snow, snowflakes on it or Santa or whatever. Yeah. Like, so it fits in under the tree. But you're right. It's like everybody knows. I mean, that's the birthday move, right? If you're going to a birthday right, party, you're right. definitely bringing a bag with some tissue paper. Yeah. Dude, if but someone I, if someone I, gives me the bag present, I fully appreciate that. You do. Yeah. I mean, like. I'm telling you, like, it is so much work to figure out how to wrap a gift. It's insane. My like, mother-in-law is the most expert gift wrapper yeah. of all time. And she'll come a few days before Christmas and, and help us do that. And I got to tell you, these things, there's, like, perfect crease lines. I mean, the thing looks like it was painted on. This, yeah. is, this is exactly how my mom is. Yeah? Every single package under the tree looks like it was expertly wrapped. And, I, you know, I, I can't do it. But but I think there's something endearing about um, yeah having the t- just trying the time trying. And, I, I, and, I think and, it's and a white chromosome thing, dude. Yeah, like uh, I could do a tourniquet. I can't figure out how to wrap a. It dance. actually might be because I don't know a zero dude. idea. I've never met any guy who's like I'm. I can make this shit look amazing. If you, you know? look under the tree in our house, everybody knows which presents Dad wrapped. <laughs> Wait, so you actually give it a <laughs> I run? Do. I try. Yeah, I bet they just look like shit. Terrible. I mean, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I don't know if they do this anymore. I remember when I was when I was like uh, a, a young young kid, when you'd go to the mall, it'd be like if you can if you buy your gift here, you can take it to this place like in the middle, and there were like basically nice grandmas who were there wrapping gifts, yeah. and they would be like incredible. Like they do the scissor thing with the ribbon, so it like curls and looks amazing. I don't. I, I think that all of that's gone, right? Like malls are closing down across the country. Everyone's just. They ought to get back into that line of work. It would give you more of an incentive to go to the mall (laughs) if they did it. Yeah. And and for you, when you're wrapping, each brooch that you give... uh, (laughs) That is... Smash. Yeah. Is that it? (laughs) 
the brooch story is a story we'll tell on another day. Oh, I feel uh, like we should get into it. Should we program. get into it? No, I think we should talk about it right now. I think we should too. I want to hear the brooch story. I haven't heard this one. Just yet. do it, Ash. This is one of the best stories of all time, and we call it the Brotherhood of the Traveling Brooch that was invented by John Ashbrook as a young professional man whose, uh, shall we say, his priorities may have been a bit out of whack. This was the first year of our marriage. <laughs> I was working on the Hill as a press secretary in a very important job on the House side. <laughs> Nothing was more important than my job, and so I didn't even think about Christmas until like a few days before Oof. it came. Everyone knows that game. But he was Terrible. married. This I is the difference. Is it? Terrible mistake. Terrible mistake. So I thought to myself, <laughs> what am I going to do? And I went down to the House of Representatives gift shop. Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so much better for it those of you so who much have, better. For those of you who have been in either the House or the Senate <laughs> gift shop, you know that there's like the things that, you know, like a T-shirt that someone would buy or whatever. But they escalate to things that nobody would ever buy. And that's where you had your eye. Well, I, th- I thought everything down there was really cool because I was in my, my first year as in, you know working in the working in the House of Representatives. I thought it was the best thing in the world. So it says House on it. Exactly. So I can you imagine? I'd be insulted. Oh, so I so shout out to the House staffers who listen. <laughs> so I bought her. I think I bought her a notepad. I think I bought her a blanket with the House of Representatives. I think I bought her a fleece, oh which my. is a very nice. I thought it was a nice fleece. I mean, if someone gets me a fleece, yeah, that's great. But like, I don't it's know. It's like work swag. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got some pens, honey. <laughs> but here's a ruthless shirt. <laughs> the creme de la creme was a. This is so this good. Is so good was a plastic which was painted in gold elephant brooch and i don't know what was going through my mind i think i was going to a lot of lincoln day dinners and a lot of people were wearing brooches and i that, thought that'll do it you know what that's what that's what every that's every girl needs I, I don't have any idea what was going hey, through your my wife's mind. what like 23 she, she yeah she was very young at the time. <laughs> Very young at it's the time. It's a present for your grandma. Honestly, you <laughs> and a shitty one at that. You, you go to a Lincoln Day dinner, like a brooch is the hottest accessory on the street. You're wearing like, it. That's number yeah. one. The elephant brooch with the the <laughs> the di- you know, like the ruby colored eyes. So you bring this home. So I brought it home. She opened all of her presents, and naturally, she cried. Oh my god! And it was the I, I was like. I really messed up. <laughs> right. She's like, she's like the nicest person. On oh, earth. she's a wonderful, she's wonderful girl. Literally, I, I, is I a not, saint. I, yeah. No, on no planet do I deserve this girl, and here I am giving her a plastic gold painted brooch. <laughs> she cried. That's she the did. best. But the best part is he's like, oh, the gig's up. But it was one. Of, it was one of those like because he thought you were going to get away with it. It was. It was not like a. It was one of those like genuine cry. Like like tears kind of came. It wasn't like she was boohooing. Yeah. It was just like tears came down. It was like she, my she husband realized, made no time for this. This is the person I've married. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, did that, how did I? How was I tricked into? The, she was bamboozled. <laughs> was that like a uh, educational experience though? Like, did you learn the lesson and now you like plan ahead, or, or was it just like oh, all just happened? Uh, I have. I've I've done my best to recover for it every year since. Yeah. 
I mean, and like, I'm not. I'm not saying I've always. I've always hit the mark, but I've, <laughs> I've done my best. Like I take. I take Christmas presents like super, super seriously. I'm not surprised. Like, uh, uh, you know, I'll. I'll even budget and put aside money all through the year because I love Christmas time. Everyone's already in a good mood. So when you drop a crazy gift you, you on put somebody, into it. yeah, they love it. I mean, that makes a huge difference. Yeah, well, that's huge thoughtful. Uh, Ashbrook took a different route, but we have now <laughs> since we've now since there's every organization that we've worked in over the years, you can always identify the young man who is spending an inordinate amount of time at work and thinks that that's like the only thing that, that matters in the world, mm-hmm. right? And there's something great about that. We love to surround ourselves with people like that because you know that like they're getting the job Grinders, done. yeah. Yeah, they're great, great people. The downside <laughs> of that, as evidenced by what John was talking about a minute ago, uh, is that they always, to a man, mm-hmm. get into the situation where it's Christmas Eve and they're like, fuck. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is that, like, I, I think every guy so can we, 100% relate to that because it sneaks up on you. So we call it, we call it, in, in, when you're working in politics and you do this, we call it the brotherhood of the traveling brooch. Incredible. And and we have yet to do this, but I feel like we're this needs to happen, is to go find that brooch and, like, on Christmas Eve or the day before Christmas Eve, and you look at that guy and you know exactly what's going through his head because he's sitting at work grinding, but he's like, Jesus, I got to get out of here and figure out how to get a gift. You just go drop that off on his right. <laughs> Just give him a knowing nod. Congratulations, say, son. Listen, son, the mall is closed. <laughs> but I'm here to help. I'm here to help. <laughs> here is the brotherhood of the traveling brooch. Well, well, welcome. I mean, there's got to be a business opportunity out there where it's like, you know, it's like, you know, Halloween Express or whatever is only open for, what, a few weeks yeah. every year. But they have an insane uh, profit margin. Like, they make tons of cash. There's got to be an opportunity where it's like, okay, we sell on Christmas women's Eve. present stuff, and we're only open December 24th, 24 hours. It's like, we're the last shot, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, we do, and we do overnight delivery. Yeah, that's it. Like, th- that would make a ton of cash. Because, oh, man. I, I mean, I've even been in that situation, you know, where it's like, oh, because um, it creeps up on you. It creeps up on you. I've been in that situation, then you end up buying something. Like, I have not done what John suggested. But what I do is end up buying something that's just way more than I could afford. <laughs> because, <laughs> because I'm like, I want to overdo it. You, you know compensate. I mean? You compensate for the lack of thought and time that you've put into this yeah. by overpaying. Yeah, I mean, I remember I bought something like when I had no, I mean, literally no money. Yeah. And I bought something. I was like, "Dude, I like rent's gonna be tight next month." <laughs> I know that game. I'm the only thing I'm worried about is the amount of building I'm going to have to do on Christmas. Oh yeah, with the kids. Yeah, yeah. Like Joey's at that age, yeah. right? Where like everything is assembly required. No, you need to be a carpenter. Well, and I got him this. Uh, you know, he loves he loves dinosaurs, and I got him this Jurassic Park. Power wheels. Oh yeah, I'm gonna have to put that together in the garage. Oh, I can't wait yeah. to see. How he's that... gonna lose his mind. Right. He's gonna be very excited. And then but he's gonna stand over your shoulder for six hours where you labor on this damn thing. Right. Right. Oh Dude, my Power gosh. wheels is like the best gift for yeah. a young kid. Yeah. It's a I good always want the damn thing. Yeah. It is a good gift. Well, anyway, we got a great program as you have uh, now understood as we're on our way. We've got a great guest, Senator Elect Eric Schmidt, is in the house. Let's today. go. And he's got a lot of great things to say, but more importantly than just sort of like recapping his election and, and everything else, the, the important stuff is uh, you may have read about a lawsuit that uh, he filed uh, when he was attorney general of the state of Missouri against the Biden administration 
alleging coordination with big tech. And huge. He was able to depose like FBI agents who interacted with the tech community, Anthony Fauci, like a whole bunch of things that wow. he'll talk about in this interview, which it will open your eyes. But for me, it really clarifies what the, you know, you hear everybody complaining, big tech, big tech. It means different things to different people. What he has put his finger on is the only thing that matters. And so I can't wait for you to hear that. Um, we've got a great sponsor today, Save Our States. You've heard them a, a couple of times on the program. They're the ones who basically are our last line of defense against ridiculous Democrat reforms in state, quote-unquote, reforms in states that basically just rig the system, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they're the ones that want, like, national popular vote, mm-hmm. right? Or that ranked choice voting stuff. These guys fight back on all that Huge. nonsense and Huge. so it's particularly important now as people are talking about that for next cycle anyway we've got uh we got a good one um let's start with some serious stuff and go from there yeah okay 100%. uh the caravans are back yeah and and, and I, just right off the top it is insane the way that the media like the left-wing media undermines this situation where you've got that guy what is his name uh, on fox Who's always Bill Malugin? Yeah, Malugin. Unlike you know this administration, he's on the border and he sees just like I. I think the other day he had like a video of like a thousand. Yeah, just walking across, just, just crossing the border at once. Yeah. No, and then, then they, they want you to believe that this is all some sort of like a fictional tale that Republicans tell themselves at night. Totally. And it's all fake until they're in Martha's Vineyard. But but here's here's the the latest from Axios, uh, hardly a right wing publication. Possibility of fourteen thousand migrant crossings a day. A day is pushing the Biden administration toward a new rule that would severely limit migrants' ability to qualify for asylum at the southern border. Well, uh, okay, all right. Well, let me let me I'm gonna give the benefit of doubt. I'll read them like at least one more paragraph before we get into this. Officials are concerned that Border Patrol stations will face acute overcrowding and Department of Homeland Security resources will be overwhelmed when the pandemic-era Title 42 policy ends on December 21st, according to sources familiar with the plans. Um, Okay. Title 42, it was implemented during the Trump administration, and it it was extended initially by President Biden. It allows for the rapid expulsion of migrants and asylum seekers at the border, right? Mm-hmm. It's both a a serviceable way of dealing with people, so they're not just sitting in like American, what turns out to be cages, as the left uh, had termed them. The Obama cages. The Obama cages. Um, but it's also a deterrent, right? When you know you've got that, people know like my chances of success and ultimately getting through is much less. So, of course, they repeal the damn thing, right? And every Democrat that was for repealing it, uh, then in the midterms was like, no, 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 we should have kept it. Uh, right, right, right. right. I mean, like, yeah. I'm thinking mass, that was a perfect example of that. Um, but all of this is now coming home to roost, and what's happening is this administration is talking about a, a new rule that would severely limit, it sounds a lot like uh, the Title 42 thing that we were talking about. So like maybe you should have just done that. And I don't right. and, and I don't trust this at all. So so uh, uh, it says here in the Axios article that it's scheduled to be lifted in less than 2 weeks barring last minute court intervention. So I think this administration especially not by their words but you look at their actions. 
like Kamala, who who Biden essentially made like the borders are, has refused to even go to the border. She has zero idea what it's like, right? Especially if, if if you're Kamala and you only watch like CNN and MSNBC, you have zero idea. You have no idea what it's like there on the border. This administration has shown that it is not a priority. It's probably not even the twentieth thing on their list. Right. Right. Well, it's not, and and this says nothing about border security either. Right. I mean. It, the funny thing is how they just whistle past the graveyard yeah. every single time. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, let's change this like bureaucratic regulatory system that will solve all of that. It's like, I'm going to just build the fucking wall. Yeah. But, I mean, you're talking <laughs> you know because it's right. simple. Because right. what you're actually. <laughs> There's an answer to this. You're actually talking about over 5 million people in a year. Yeah, if that, you do that, the math on that. Right. Like, it's. I don't want people to, to hear 14,000 and be like, oh, yeah, you know, we'll figure that out. That is a ton of people. In a a year. ton of people. And plus, these are coming in through limited areas. It's not like the entire border is accessible. Right. It's it's limited to these communities that have already been overcrowded for like two years. Resources are drained. People are living in squalor. It's a human rights condition, as we've talked about. And it's going to get worse. And yet, there's nothing to actually secure it. It's about dealing with the processing of that yeah, which the assu- by the way processing of it is all a taxpayer expense but, yeah the, assu- the assumption is like that five million needs to come into our country yeah, yeah i mean that's that's basically their that is it that's what they're saying through the silence of the policy right like yeah. that that the security is not an issue what they are saying is implicitly is like okay well five million we'll just have to figure out a way to deal with that oh, in a year insane. like that's an insane thing it's an insane thing and it's not just about the people as we've talked about frequently on the program it's also you get human trafficking as a part of yeah, that right. you get fentanyl sex slaves you get fentanyl it, it works its way into every community across this country like the human rights condition is an important piece of it it is like multifaceted and these guys just choose to ignore it yeah, yeah, that's well, the thing is, is it's the ultimate irony is that the left tries to say that the more humane approach is essentially just opening the borders Meanwhile, that creates this incentive for, like, the coyotes. And, and you've had Dems who are like, animals don't traffic people. Well, like, <laughs> coyotes who are professionals whose entire job is trafficking people uh, do horrendous crimes. Where I think, what, what was the statistic that we saw? That, like, uh, 50% of uh, girls and women who go through the border experience being sexually assaulted? Yeah, it's just awful. It creates a motivation that, like, well, if the border's open, there's no rules. It's lawlessness. Yeah. Meanwhile, like I remember there were these uh, uh, interviews that were being taken of migrants before and after uh, during the Trump administration, during the Biden administration, during the Trump administration. They're like, essentially, it's a no go. Like we've been told, like it's an incredibly hostile environment. Now is not the time. It's going to be very tough. And then afterwards, I mean, we even saw videos during election season of of, uh, migrants wearing Biden shirts because they knew they knew. Yeah. Yep. It's, yeah. It's well, disgusting. I mean, the the reality is Democrats never ever have to deal with consequences mm-hmm. or they never they never actually do. They're never faced with consequences because the media never holds them accountable. Well, the only time they situation. chirp about it is when it shows up in their vacation destination. No, that's right. exactly right. You know what I mean? Which that's, is the brilliance of Ronnie D's move at the Martha's Vineyard. That's exactly Imagine right. if you had 14,000 people showing up in Martha's Vineyard every day. Yeah. Boy, that would get pretty uncomfortable, yeah. wouldn't It'd it? be on TV. Do you think that maybe those those glowing stories about the heroism of the people of Martha's Vineyard uh, <laughs> would go sideways, right? I don't feel like they'd be 
quite as accommodating as people in South Texas. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, these aren't paying lobster roll customers. Like, Wait a minute. <laughs> but the reality is that there's already been a record number of people coming in from the South. I mean, during the Biden administration, it's millions of people. They've already yeah. set a record. And so now they're going to lift this policy and the record is just going to be blown to hell. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to be super cynical about it because, like, you know, forever it was just puzzling how you could have a clear and imminent danger to this country and communities across this country, so obvious to everyone, and yet the president doesn't see it. The vice president who's supposed to be in charge of it doesn't go there. Um, Nobody in the administration talks about it ever, including the Department of Homeland Security, which is in charge of all of this. And, like, they pretend as if it's not an issue that's affecting Americans. I mean... Just the number of deaths from fentanyl. That alone, if nothing else, should motivate this administration to do something about it. Yeah, Because the southern border is just... It's completely open, and it's become how fentanyl is just flooded into this country and kills so many Americans. Yeah, that's exactly right. To to Josh's point earlier, it's not like they're using this moment as a as an inflection point to sort of add a new deterrent. Maybe Title 42 isn't the right deterrent. Maybe they need another deterrent. They're just lifting it and just doing nothing, pretending like there's no... So everyone who is south of the border is like, oh, well, I guess it's open. It's free to go. It's wild. And I mean, to Smug's point, it's not like that they're sitting there in Dearborn, Michigan with a fentanyl plant. Yeah, right. This stuff's coming through the border and it's just killing our communities. Um, let's lighten it up a little bit. Yes, I, I'm so excited about this next story. Uh, Hello Fresh. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You'll have to. You guys will have to acquaint <laughs> me into Hello Fresh. It's it's one of the food delivery services. It's like one of those things where you don't have time to make your food, and yep. so they actually make it for you and give it to you, and you like pop it in the microwave, and all of a sudden you're Hello Fresh. That's it. Well, no, but Hello Fresh is like meal kit. Oh yeah, yeah like you, you actually it. do the cooking, okay. but they have the right amount of servings of like you need this much oil and this much. Oil. Have you tried it? Uh. No, I've done blue Blue Apron like a That's long time thing. ago. No, I don't. I don't do it anymore. Do you still but. do Factor? Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, I got on Factor because of you. They're good. Yeah. Well, anyway, Hello Fresh has been accused, according to CBS News, Hello Fresh accused of using coconut milk obtained from monkey labor. This is the best news <laughs> I've read in a while. So I'd be interested in your take on this, Ashbrook. But it turns out uh, the coconut milk uh, that they use <laughs> is obtained by monkey labor in Thailand. Claims of animal abuse uh, made against 57 operations in nine provinces of Thailand, according to findings released as of Monday. In a statement to CBS uh, Money Watch, HelloFresh said the company receives written assurances from its suppliers uh, that its coconuts are not procured using monkeys. (laughs) (laughs) No way. This is like a cartoon. Here's here's the thing, fellas. First of all, I I wonder, I mean, CBS will never ask a tough question of uh, Joe Biden's White House, but here they are sticking it to HelloFresh. What in the world is wrong (laughs) with a a monkey picking a a coconut? Isn't that what they're supposed to do? Isn't that what they're supposed to do? They're put on this earth to do a few things. Picking coconuts is one of them. I bet they have a ball. So I bet they have a ball. It gives them purpose. Totally. <laughs> it gives them purpose. gives them purpose, dude. So brokers to HelloFresh's coconut milk suppliers showed PETA the monkeys who were chained on trash-strewn patches of dirt and flooded areas. Oh, Ashworth with, loves this. With car tires as their only shelter. That's amazing. According to animal rights groups, uh, which published photos of its investigation as well as live video footage. 
Most of the monkeys are kidnapped from their families in nature. This is insane. Even though the species is exploited by the coconut trade and are threatened and endangered, according to welfare uh, animal welfare groups. Tell that to suburban Japanese people. Yeah, well... Because the macaque variety of the monkeys <laughs> are terrorizing neighborhoods throughout Japan. And, and you like, can't have a macaque without the coconuts. No, but this is this is a work program. <laughs> like, look look at the word choice that CBS is using here, where they're like, oh, God, it's a trash-strewn patches of dirt. Okay, well, what's a jungle? You think they got condos out there? Like, what are you talking about, dude? Right, and it right. says most of the monkeys are kidnapped from their is right. from their families. Like, is kidnapping an animal a crime? Like, how does every pound in this country work? Are they like, what's the lineage? Is the, is it like dad dog cool with you adopting this? Like, what is this? This is ridiculous. And also, like, I, I, I'm not happy that HelloFresh denied this. I would 100% put an order now if I knew it's like, Monkey harvesting. You're getting the real, things. the real McCoy it's there. So legit. Yeah, it's that's so yeah. legit. That's not fake stuff. Like that's you've real got organic deal. and you've got like monkey harvesting, <laughs> which is like next level. Yeah, the, mon- the, the monkey's not going to pick a bad coconut. No, 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 they know the game. That is its nature. Well, and they say for every macaque, you have two solid coconuts. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> <laughs> I just- I knew you'd find a way. Life finds a way. <laughs> <laughs> no, we one, have another monkey. One, one would hope. <laughs> yes, yes, one Dude, would hope. So if I'm HelloFresh, you know, I would lean into this. <laughs> I would 100% lean into this. I'd be like, listen, you know, we are 100% a natural company. Even even the people harvesting the coconuts are part of nature. And I would take it a step further. I'd be like, listen, you get a box of our food, we'll right. send you a monkey to cook the thing. Right. You know, right. if you can get them to harvest right. coconuts and sleep in tires, right. bro, just chopping it up and throwing it in a pan, that's the next step. <laughs> right. And this this is this is just the first step. You should have dolphins bringing people mullet like directly to the net on a fishing boat. Well, and the, not to mention the banana trade. The banana trade. Can you imagine? Yeah. That's an authentic banana when you get it from I bet mother. the shrinkage on that is terrible, though. You can't let them harvest the <laughs> fucking banana. Oh, you think, you, you think, that, you think they, they take I ten, don't trust them harvesting the bananas, ten per, 10% for the big guy? Bingo. Oh, yeah. No, they're going to they're gonna put a couple of bushels bushels away for the family. Uh, yeah, and they keep it in the tires, so it's not. It's, no, you can't do it. Um, there's more monkey news. McDaniel really was on a so fire good. with this. This is so good. Uh, it's raining monkeys. Florida man records monkeys jumping from trees into a river at Silver Spring State Park in the state of Florida. This is according to a local Fox News affiliate, Fox 13 News. Um, when you're exploring the great outdoors in Florida, you might expect to see alligators in the water, native egrets flying above. But as one man and his family were boating down the Silver Spring uh, State Park, they probably didn't expect to see the monkeys leaping from the trees into the water right in front of them. That's mm. wild. Wow. How is it that it, it's always Florida when always. it comes to this? Always. Remember we did the big iguana thing? Yeah, yeah. And, and then they had all the, like, there's stuff that's in just winter, not In winter, they, like, fall here. out of the trees because they're croaking. Because Florida's our closest thing to Australia that we have in the United States. Like, like, like. It's by a, latitude? No, it's a, it, no. It's just it's a lawless jungle. <laughs> it's a lawless <laughs> jungle with crazy animals. You know, just like just like Australia. Like anything could happen in Florida. Yeah. As soon as you cross the border, who knows? Who knows? It's an adventure. Well, this seems to be uh, quite an issue because it's not just a monkey. Uh, on December three, Matthew Schwenk <laughs> was recording video on the Silver Spring River when a troop of more than twenty. Resus macaques. There they are. 20 macaques began jumping uh, 
from the tree limbs and loudly splashing into the water. They're all jumping, one boy could be heard gasping <laughs> as the monkeys leaped one by one. Maybe, I mean, maybe this is like the DeSantis is picking up on your recommendation. With the, with maybe they're jumping into the water with the bananas. Oh, maybe maybe he is. You know, he's very smart about He's a animal step control. ahead on this stuff. He is stuff. a step ahead. He is a step ahead. That the, could be what's happening. What, no, they've, this, what this they've done in Florida with Python control, or I don't know if you're familiar with this program, you can actually get paid cash yeah, money to go kill this To go thing? take out these pythons, which are a menace. Well, they are. But I mean, you know, you're never going to see the kind of monkey problem that you had in Southeast Asia, for example, and was terrorizing and throwing babies off buildings happen in Florida with Ronnie Deeper's idea. Right, right. So he's got like maybe just didn't publicly acknowledge the fact that he's already got monkey pools. <laughs> I, think that, I, I don't know. These are these are rhesus monkeys. And rhesus monkeys are used in a lot of scientific oh, experiments. Oh, fucking course you know what kind of yeah, monkey this is. this is insane. Well, but they're... I mean, I, maybe it's possible these monkeys got a little screwed up in the head. You're saying that maybe they're Fauci maybe, monkeys? Maybe they're Fauci monkeys. Maybe they got released from some laboratory and now they're doing it's crazy It's like Planet things. of the Apes, dude. Yeah. So, I, so this article, maybe I, <laughs> I think kind of substantiates that thinking. So it continues. It says, uh, Schwein said the, ins, uh, the incident was the result of a turf war between two troops of monkeys. Maybe they're like, you're in the movie. They're like uh, deciding who's the boss over here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Hundreds of racists. Rhesus. Rhesus. Well, that's, I mean, that's a pronunciation that's not obvious, so thank you for that. Um, we're in this park, and wildlife officials said they want to curb or even eliminate the monkey population because researchers said some of the animals at the park carry the hepatitis B virus. Wow. See, they were doing it. No, 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 it's not hepatitis, bro. It's herpes. Oh, my oh. God. Herpes. Wait, herpes? Oh, my God. Wait a second. It's legit. Yeah, I thought it said herpes. It's herpes. We're not even talking about the villages here. We're talking about... <laughs> well, how, how does a monkey have herpes, dude? How does a monkey I mean, that herpes? changes it. That's an Fauci gave it to I guarantee, dude. I guarantee these are the Fauci monkeys. <laughs> parody, we're laughing. And parody, 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 parody. Yeah. Wow, I can't... I mean, this, is a, this took a different turn it when did. we started. And it says that, like, the state of Florida doesn't want them to. This is an easy problem to solve. You just issue monkey hunting licenses. Yeah. You know, like, also, if you can bag a monkey, I'd bag a monkey. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Not everybody has the stomach for hunting monkeys. Not everybody has a stomach for a monkey diving into a pool of bananas and drowning. So, <laughs> you feel good about it, though. So, well, well I'd, I'd like to present an alternative that was laid out to us by our brothers and sisters in the nation of Thailand. Okay. Let's put them to work. Put them to work. <laughs> Let's put them to work. There are a lot of coconuts in the state of Florida. And if you can pre-screen these monkeys for things like herpes B or whatever else they might be, and you, you put the herpes B monkeys in one category, and then you put the clean monkeys in another no, category. You're not, th- you're not thinking it through, bro. Put them to work. You, you, you put them to work, it's like, okay, you bring me 20 coconuts, you get the Valtrex today. <laughs> oh. Well, now that's ingenuity. But there's, there's, that is ingenuity. But there's a problem with them handling uh, food foodstuffs here because it goes on here in the article to say experts blame the monkeys for elevated levels of E. coli, e. coli? and fecal coliform bacteria in the waterways around the island. Because they're shitting in the water. They're, they're just like out yeah. of control. But, he, but here's the thing with a coconut. It's a hard shell. 
Yeah. Well, you take them it's out of the water. Shot. In this case, you take them out of the water. Like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with, like, the orange groves that you have across Florida. One of the biggest exports out of Florida. Mm-hmm. You put them in the, or- in the orange uh, orchard. Right. Dude, I bet they would the crush right. right. oranges. Then yeah. there's, there's a peel, and there's a, there's a whole cleaning and sterilizing. And also, <laughs> I really think and if also you give the, the monkey an opportunity, bro, like, you, you, you're like, listen, you don't have to fight in troops. You don't have to go catch herpes. We can find you a job. We'll yeah. get you Valtrex. Yep. You can make something <laughs> else. Give your family like a shelter. <laughs> oh my God. All right. We got to we'll get go. you a tire and a chain and a dirt farm full of garbage. <laughs> Here's a dirt farm. <laughs> Sir, your tire. <laughs> Congratulations. Congratulations. It's from a big wheel. <laughs> uh, all right. So there's auctions happening. We always like to keep an eye on this, this is according to BBC. We like when they sell weird stuff, right? Um, the world's oldest known genes mm. uh, from 1857 from a shipwreck were sold from for $114,000. Um, like, I understand collecting stuff, and I certainly understand, like, the dinos yeah. thing. Yeah. I'm not sure that I, I'm on board for paying 100 grand for a pair of jeans. What That's are you doing with those? That's kind of ridiculous. What are you doing with those? I, I don't know I don't know what anybody's thinking buying that I mean it's it's not even like loud, you're putting it on the wall in your place and be like hey do you get to try them on or <laughs> you make the buy wouldn't that be awesome yeah because you know a, a pair of jeans that fits just a, right hey and oh be like I have the same physique as an 1857 pirate yeah <laughs> the chicken fried I love it uh, well they're white jeans too so there's a certain really? summer flair to them too. Well, I think they they were found in a sump, sunken trunk in a shipwreck uh, in 1857 near the coast of North Carolina. There you go. I guess that answers the question that they're a button fly. Yeah, white jeans, white button fly jeans didn't start in the 90s. No, I, I always thought that was a. I always thought the, the gas company yeah, like pioneered a little those. acid wash. Yeah, yeah. And, and North Carolina was like a pirate hideout. Like I think Blackbeard operated out. Oh yeah, hundred percent. This is like pirate gear. But like, who's the white jean pirate dude? I'd give no respect to that dude. Either that or he's a super badass. He's gotta be crazy. The guy's going. He's got like two hooks for hands. Dude, and he's dude, like, I really. That's why I got like a, a button leg. fly. I can't work a zipper with these. <laughs> with a with a peg leg. <laughs> He's got to, right? Because you have to be such a badass to be a pirate with buttonfly jeans. I'm white buttonfly jeans. If you encounter a pirate with white buttonfly, get the fuck out of there. Yeah. That guy means business. He's got nothing to lose. He's got nothing to lose. That guy means business. Anyway, some guy bought him. Uh, (laughs) But in another one, T Rex skull brought 6.1 million at Sotheby's. I feel good about that. You you don't have probably six point one million dollars. I wish, dude. I would have gotten that. That sounds like a deal. That you can show everyone. Yeah. And everyone immediately respects the fact that you're you've got one. See, that's like the exact opposite of the gene thing, where it's like, okay, you're you're shelling out a ridiculous amount of money, yeah. even though this is considered a deal. Six point one. I mean, I, I I can think of a lot of things to do with six point one, but if you've got like that kind of flow and you have a T Rex skull, I put that like in the foyer yeah right you walk in holy shit there's a t-rex skull already it like it sets the tone it this sets is a the very tone. serious dude he's got a t-rex skull and the other guy all he's got is a pair of white jeans yeah, button seriously. fly jeans yeah 
Which you don't want to really be caught with. I mean, no I see that, what, and I'm like, let alone for 100 grand. Like, if someone's like, "Hey, I got uh, like 200 year old jeans," I'm like, "What's the message? You know, that I'm taking away from this." If I roll up in someone's house and they have a T-Rex skull, this is a serious guy. <laughs> you got to take this guy serious. All right, so this is a word uh, of warning to folks who are thinking about their end of the year tax planning. The Biden tax attack on Venmo is real. Mm. We've talked about it a lot yep. on this program, yep. and it's coming. There, this is according to Axios. There's a tax headache ahead next year for millions of Americans who use apps like Venmo or PayPal, regularly part of a little-noticed change passed in March as a part of the American Rescue Plan, that horseshit piece of legislation yep. the Democrats passed unilaterally. Anyone who paid more than $600 for selling goods or services using one of these third-party apps should get a 1099K tax form detailing that money. It may get confusing. Uh, before the law was changed, 1099Ks went out only to those who took more than $20,000 through uh, more than 200 transactions. Not anymore. Yeah. Uh, Democrats promised that they were going after billionaires. Oh, I thought that was American what that was. Yeah. I, I, I didn't know they were going out after people with Venmo. They, they swore to God that they weren't going after regular people with Venmo. No, they said this is about closing the tax loopholes mm. for billionaires. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. So, like, the other day on the news, I saw... Uh, uh, babysitter, by the way, screwed by this. Totally. A babysitter? you got to be kidding. Think well, about well, that. Even These Foldy, people are sick. Foldy, who, who uh, runs the fantasy football league, like, everyone paying their dues. Oh, he's cooked. Enjoy that form, boy. He's cooked. Like, seriously, like, for fantasy football, you've got the IRS breathing after you. Um, but the other day, the news came out that uh, uh, Ken Griffin is suing the IRS, right? Mm -hmm. Because they leaked his tax forms uh, to, uh, I think it was like the information or like one of these left-leaning publications. And instantly, that tells you a couple things. So this was, this was a, a big deal about a year ago where a number of prominent conservatives had their tax uh, return info leaked publicly to left-wing journos and left-wing publications. Yeah, I mean, it, look, it happened to the Kochs. It happened to Peter Thiel. Yeah. Uh, it, there's a, there's a incredible correlation with active, wealthy, conservative donors and Democratic administrations that somehow all of their private financial dealings become public. And that's the thing is like the mm, difference weird. here now is that you're going to have like 84,000 IRS agents that Biden's putting out there. This is this is this is telling you what their plan was all along. They're going after you. Mm -hmm. They're going after everybody. This yeah. isn't about like eighty-four thousand tax agents to go after the like what twenty billionaires or however many there are in this country. This is about them going after people who have six hundred dollars in their Venmo. Mm -hmm. I mean, they really get really got to change this. Like I can't. I mean, it's just a crime against humanity. They, the they, Republicans didn't win both both chambers. Yeah, because this is the something that like. You really should try to get off the. I mean, this is a damaging, damaging tax. Anybody who does business on like Etsy mm -hmm. or you know, like an eBay or or something like that, I mean, you're talking about a de minimis transaction. I mean, obviously, if it's your core business and you have hundreds of thousands of dollars, you have to pay taxes on that because that's part of the law. But this. We're talking babysitters, a house cleaner. Well, I mean, think about this. I mean, like, if, think about if, if someone's moving and they're selling their old furniture, right, on Craigslist. Oh, yeah. You kid, you, oh, just Venmo me. Well, guess what? You're getting a 1099K. Yeah. Sorry. This is insane. It, Sorry, it, pal. It is, it is insane. And you know what? I, I agree with you. It would have been nice to take both houses, but we did take the uh, House of Representatives, and I think it's incumbent upon these new 
members who are coming in to study up on this issue and figure out a way to fix it. And, you know, a stat I heard, we were talking about this the other day, there's been a lot of turnover in the House of Representatives. Uh, a, a very dear friend of the program who is an economist, a guy named Bruce Thompson, we've quoted him here before. You may not know his name, but you you definitely know his work because uh, your retirement depends on it. Bruce is the author of these Roth IRA accounts. Oh, interesting. He's the guy that made okay. these things yeah. in the 80s. He did an analysis of the number of Republicans who have left Congress since the beginning of the Trump administration. So there were 224 House Republicans who voted for the Trump tax cuts. There are 100 of them who are being sworn in in January. Wow. So, so there huge, is huge, less than huge, half. Huge turnover. And so there is there is a brand new field of Republicans who can take a brand new approach to taxes. That's it. And, and like we need them to make sure these insane things of going after people who have 600 in their Venmo, like that's a, that's a huge benefit. These House Republicans, we've got the same majority that Pelosi did. We've got to hold their feet to the fire and make sure this is insanity. This totally, is absolute insanity. Totally. All right. I want to hear from uh, our sponsor of today's program, Save Our States. I want to welcome back to the program somebody you've heard here a couple of times, a good friend of the program, Trent England from Save Our States. Welcome back, pal. Yeah, I'm glad to be here, Holmes. Thank you. Listen, you're doing the Lord's work, as we've talked about before. You're out there fighting state by state against every bad Democratic idea to try to ruin our electoral system. So how's the how's the fight? Well, you know, I mean, as in many ways, the you know, the election, not super helpful, but not not terrible either. We've got uh, we've got some big fights next year, I think, over the, uh, the the left's plan to hijack the Electoral College, which they call the National Popular Vote Interstate Commerce. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're still they're still pushing on Republicans, too. I mean, they we, we we caught them up in Maine trying to take Republicans on a junket down to Miami Beach. And, you know, this has been their tactic for a long time. It's like their, their lobbying pitch has like a three drink minimum. Right. <laughs> so. That's classic. So so basically what they do, they can't convince any conservative it's a good idea to abandon the Electoral College. They, got they can't convince a sober conservative <laughs> right. uh, that it's a good idea to abandon the Electoral College. I mean, it, it really is wild. I mean, they, you know, they have taken dozens and dozens of Republican lawmakers, you know, for, for like 10 years on these trips. They used to go to Puerto Rico and Costa Rica and places like that. One of their lobbyists was actually complaining to me a couple of weeks ago. He said, you know, they don't get to go on the really nice trips anymore because we've 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 actually gotten it written up by some conservative bloggers. And like, you know, people have lost primaries over this. Well, he uh, should. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if you're entertaining any of these dumb ideas, you should you should be acquainted with the primary system. I'm I'm, I'm quite <laughs> confident. But here's another thing that I you know is it keeps popping up, and you know I, because it's kind of a confusing deal for a lot of people. I mean we've we've talked about it before, but this the rank choice issue yeah keeps coming up. And look, we're we're steadfast against this. There are some Republicans in some states that believe that it helps them. I, I don't understand that, but give me the lay of the land on that. Yeah, so we're we're also launching an effort called Stop RCV. Uh, it's at stoprcv.com. And you're right. I mean, this is another place where, you know, there have been some Republicans who've been confused. I, I think, you know, some of that comes out of the Virginia uh, you know, process where, you know, during COVID they couldn't hold the regular convention. And so they oh, used yeah, the, the primary, yeah, the primary process that they used. 
Yeah, which, yeah. you know, I, I thought we were trying to, like, get away from the, the whole, like, COVID state. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, that was forced on the Virginia Republican Party by the, you know, the, the Democrat administration in Virginia at the time, right? And, uh, no, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a terrible system. It's something that the left came up with, especially in northeastern states where, you know, oftentimes there are these Green Party or, you know, Socialist Workers Party or whatever, like these far left parties. And the left wants to use those as turnout machines, right? So they they want to get the second or third place vote behind, you know, some some candidate who's even crazier than they are. And uh, I mean, you know, like so much the left does in elections, it's it's a short term way for them to win, and they don't care about the long term consequences. Which in this case is just totally screwing up the election process. I mean, this is a convoluted, confusing, totally non transparent way to run elections. You can't you can't do it without computers, right? Like you can't do it without feeding everything into a black box and then trusting that the computer is running these adjustments the right way. Like three like three times, right? I mean, it's not like <laughs> you can just do it one time or two times. I mean, they have to keep provided that they haven't crowned a winner. They have to keep counting ballots until you get somebody's second and third choice. Yeah, exactly. And, and along the way, they wind up in, in every actual rank choice election, they wind up throwing out ballots because there's a lot of people who say, look, I, I, I don't understand the process or, you know, I, I'm just going to vote for the, for the candidate I like. And as soon as you do that, I mean, you can go to the polls, you cast a ballot and you can wind up completely disenfranchised, which, you know, frankly, this is an interesting kind of left, right uh, area of, of a little bit of agreement on this. I mean, there've been some folks on the left who said, look, you know, if you're like, you're here from, you know, say you, you came here from Cambodia in 1980 or something you know, you're like 75 years old, you don't, your English isn't very good. And all of a sudden, they're going to send you this ballot that looks like some kind of a brain teaser or an LSAT question or something like, that's crazy. Yeah, no, it really is crazy. And the problem, I think, is that it it starts to get constituencies when we have cycles like we had in 2022, particularly in some states that have a real nomination issue, right? You've either nominated candidate that can't win a general election or, or somehow the the disconnect between a primary electorate and a general electorate in a state is such that you you basically your party can't compete. And so people look for different ways to try to change that. This, in my view, is the worst. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, one of the ironies that we're suffering through right now is that we've had, we've weakened political parties and, and then people look at the system and they say, well, the system screwed up. We don't like the candidates we're getting. It must be because political parties have too much power, so we want yeah. to weaken them even further. Which is, which is just it's people not understanding what the left has done to American politics for the last, you know, in some ways twenty years with you know the whole Bikra, I mean, campaign yeah, finance Fandrum. reform, yeah, which was which is just terrible. But you know, going back even before that, I mean, it was the McGovern folks who screwed up the presidential nominating process, and you know, really kind of you know, defenestrated the political parties to the point where, you know, they don't, they look like they have this power, but most of it's illusory. And and then, you know, and so then they say, oh, well, how about ranked choice voting? Yeah. <laughs> which, which is just going to break all that down even, even more and make things even worse. You know, at some point people are going to figure this out, but you know, the question is, is it going to be too late to rebuild a kind of a stable political system that, you know, served us for like 200 years, right? I know it. I know it. You're, you're a hundred percent right, which is why we're all so happy that you guys are doing the work that you're doing. Um, I imagine you guys are going to be super busy next year. Yeah, it's going to be a year, you know, fighting against national popular vote, uh, fighting against ranked choice voting. I mean, the left has plowed, I mean, just 
if, when you talk about state level campaigns, you know, things have gotten more expensive, but the amount of money behind these two efforts is, is just wild. You know, I think I mentioned in the past, you know, national popular vote is literally pushed by the guy who invented the scratch off lottery ticket, like back in the seventies. So those guys have lots of money, needless to say, you know, I mean, that guy like wins on every scratch ticket. Right. So, Unbelievable. uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's wild. You know, it's like, where do they find these guys? But you know, <laughs> no, we, uh, you know, the Democrats, I mean, they've got trifectas in, you know, new trifectas in, in Michigan and Minnesota. We, you know, we know yeah. they're going to be pushing these, these bad ideas up there. They, they keep pushing in Maine, but, you know, surprisingly enough, you know, even though Maine Democrats uh, went kind of hog wild with ranked choice voting a couple of years ago, uh, they've actually, they've actually held out against national popular vote because they're, you know, they're such a small state and they're kind of quirky and they like it that way. Yeah. Well, it would be suicidal for a state like Maine to throw in with California and New York. Right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Think. No, that's, think, but, that's right. Oops. I mean, that's, you know, Nevada, thankfully, has gotten better. But even even uh, the Democrat, the former governor of Nevada, Democrat, uh, you know, Sislak out there. Even he vetoed national popular vote and just he was up front. He's like, we're like, this would be giving our electoral votes to Los Angeles. Like, why would why would we do that? Oh, it's just uh, it's just nuts. Well, I listen, where, where, where can we find where can our listeners find you guys to learn about what you're up to and figure out if their home state is something they can help fight you with fight for? Yeah, no, I, you know, saveourstates.com is the place to go for everything we're doing to defend the electoral college. Uh, you know, they can find Save Our States on social media as well. And our, our brand new StopRCV.com effort is uh, we're just getting spooled up. We'd love to have people go sign up for the email list. And, you know, let's we, these are fights we can definitely win. Uh, and, you know, we, we've been winning because we've had just a lot of good, you know, activists, ruthless listeners out there across the Fruited Plain have been getting involved. So, uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And we've been winning for the because of the good efforts of Save Our States and Trent England, a good friend of the program. Thanks for coming on and giving us an update. I hope we can talk again uh, early next year. Absolutely. Thanks, Holmes. Take care. All right. So, um, look, I can't, we can't go without talking about this. New Zealand. New Horrible. Zealand uh, has introduced uh, an incredible. I mean, I can't believe this is true. Horrible. The world's first tobacco law to ban smoking for the next generation. Horrific. New Zealand has introduced uh, a steadily rising smoking age to stop those aged 14 and under from ever being able to legally buy cigarettes in a world first uh, legislation to outlaw smoking for the next generation. So what they've basically done, as I understand it, is that if you're 14 right now, Mm -hmm. you will never be able to buy cigarettes regardless of whether you know when you turn 40 the fact that you're 14 right now means that you're forever banned i mean can you imagine the cool refreshing taste of a cigarette never being known to the great people of new zealand it's now going to be basically impossible for anyone in new zealand to be cool because you don't have a cigarette (laughs) if you're not outside the bar You're not going to be cool, dude. Have they never seen like James Dean yeah. or any of the like? It's Rat Pack. It's the cheat code to be cool. They'll right? never be. <laughs> they'll, they'll certainly never be sophisticated. They will no, never be sophisticated. Not. Absolutely not. It is unbelievable. And nor will they know the refreshing, relaxing, good didn't, tasting. Didn't they also ban guns in New Zealand? Did they, dude? Like, boy, fun's really getting like, squeezed out of think that. Think about that. That's got to be a rough place right now. You're not getting guns. You're not getting tobacco. Like, what's the point? Yikes. Yikes. I don't feel good about that at all. Um, Christmas trees, pal. 
this is so I am a huge fan of McDaniel finding this because he found the takeaway uh, that the media did not connect the dots. So this is uh, from the Washington Post. It says, uh, "Traveling for Christmas? Want to know about uh, airport crowds and traffic? Uh, nearly 113 million Americans are expected to travel at least 50 miles from home this holiday season, up three percent from last year, and approaching pre-pandemic figures." I mean, so this is the thing: is like when you've got uh, a comparison of only up three percent, like. There is still a very significant portion of this country who is not celebrating Christmas, who is still using, like, uh, you've seen a lot of these, like, left-wing harebrained takes of, like, don't go to Thanksgiving because (laughs) you're going to be a super spreader. Yeah. And, like, they are continuing with this. It's an extension of Obama's war on Christmas, essentially. This is what's happened. That's what's happened. I mean, you called it early. Like, for so many years, Obama basically made... Uh, a war on Christmas, a litmus test of being a Democrat. Right? Like they pushed it so far to the point that, like, after a pandemic, it's only up three percent of people going home and seeing family for Christmas. It's unbelievable. Well, you can still anticipate crowds at airports. Airlines have sold fifty-four million seats between December eighteen and January three. That's up twenty percent from last year and up four percent from twenty nineteen. You know, it'd be nice. You know, it'd be nice if it now that we're selling fifty-four million seats. Is if you could get a domestic travel option that's like worth a shit. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it? I mean, they've like not being packed in by sardines and like paying for your luggage. It, it's different. Like the domestic travel in this country has become essentially punishment. Like you, you, you show up to the airport, you're gonna get frisked, treated like you're a criminal, <laughs> have a horrible time because like you know when you show up, like every time you're like, oh my god, I got it on a plane. You know you're gonna have a horrible time. Yeah, a horrible time. I'm, I'm getting so much uh, PTSD just thinking about traveling well, you, with you, two kids. You, sir, are a vision at the airport. I had the honor and dignity of observing the Duncan family working their way to the gate yeah. for the Thanksgiving travel. Yeah, we happen to be... So DCA used to have the 35X. Mm-hmm. Now they have like two gates that are AB. It basically functions the same way. <laughs> yeah, right. right. So we were actually we were going different places, but we were at the same gate. Yeah. You know, our, our flights left like 20 minutes, 30 minutes apart. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I see Duncan rolling up with his, his kids in like, you know, like one minute before they board. And uh, he's got a stroller that has like 17 pieces that needs to be dismantled. <laughs> well, because we had, so, so we had our six month old in the stroller and then our three year old in like, you know, the other attachment on the stroller. It's like a dual stroller. And then on top of that, a travel stroll or a travel seat that my three-year-old sits in in his seat on the like a booster seat, right? <laughs> so you have all of that, and then basically you like load it all up on my back like an ant in like this giant tarp, like tarp. Is thing. It, this is? It sounds like a sniper That's rifle. That's like all these attachments. No, I'll, yeah. tell, you, I'll tell you exactly. Is it what going it looks one of those like. cases? It, it, I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like, you remember those like early flying machines with the symbol on the top (laughs) that like jumps up and down the crowd with like clown music? Yeah. That's basically what it looks like. But it all folds up and it goes into like this like sort of like plastic tarp thing onto my back like I'm an ant carrying (laughs) eight times my body weight. And then I have to carry that down the jet bridge and, and gate check it. 
You have no great. idea how much it improved my uh, holiday spirit. <laughs> <laughs> Made my thing. Nor, yeah, nor mine when you texted me to let me know. <laughs> I, I, I really think like there needs to be like other than Southwest, like anything should go on Southwest. I think the majority of families should travel on Southwest. There has to be something like kind of like pre-check. This is such a great day. Like a pre-check thing for kids. There, there where is. It's like okay, can you show your kid isn't going to flip out, right? Like you got to show up to the airport. You know, you've got your documentation. These are your kids. All right, uh, let your kids sit there for one hour and not scream or go crazy, right? Because if they scream or go crazy, you're on Southwest. You don't get no, the no. So, 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 you know, Holmes is is attacking me for showing up one minute before boarding, but I do that as a favor. I do that as a favor to, to fellow travelers. To fellow travelers, but it's not doing. No, like, no, 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 no. Hold on, the plane, hold on. Going ham, right? Hold on. Let me finish. I, 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 if we get there 20 minutes before you start boarding, I don't show up at the gate. I, I occupy my child's time by going to the Hudson News and we look at the stuff. Because and we get he the knows water. they're about to terrorize him on a flight. That's the right, thing. Right, right, right. You'll have no option. You're right. stuck on the yeah. plane with Right. Them. But, in, but instead of giving him 20 minutes to ramp up to that, sitting there waiting for I wait until the moment before he's allowed to board. And that's when I show up, you know, because he's that's when he's going to be his freshest. It's got to be Southwest only, dude. No, because like, here's the thing is like, you're going to get on the plane. And God, I can't wait for you to have kids. The kids are going to have. Gonna be well, the here's the thing. Here's the thing. So is like, all, your, your families are only allowed to travel to Phoenix. Yeah. And Los Angeles. <laughs> and there, there is a, such an acute difference because like I remember when I was extremely young, I travel with family and the rule was you are extremely quiet. You are silent <laughs> here's throughout the, the extent thing. of the plane. He's we give you a piece serious. of gun. We, you know, we had gum, so like your ears don't pop when we're right. on takeoff, and you sit there quietly. Yeah. And if you can't handle that, you're not going anywhere. But now, what does a parent do? Now you've got these youngsters with their kids. Hand him an iPad. iPad will parent this kid. He can scream, go crazy on the plane. Who cares? He's got his iPad. Uh, you know, mommy and daddy got their like uh, uh, headphones on with noise canceling because oh they know God. the kids are monsters. That's not what the first trip. As a father, I want to be on. Yeah, I want to be on it. We should send a camera. You don't. You you know, uh, other than Southwest, kids don't get on planes if they can't stay quiet. That should be the rule. And I want to bring a bunch of like thirty-year-old fail fail sons with me, who are like (laughs) super annoyed by anything Mm. that moves, Mm. and so they have a lot of commentary for him and his family. I mean, it's it's just so clear. It's like especially during the holidays because you got all the families traveling, and you have people. You're without a doubt, you're going to get put on a plane. And someone whose kid's been raised by an iPad is going ham for like three hours straight, going ham. And the parents just like sitting there like it's normal. But you, you, it's you, like, this dude, is, that's not normal. This is easily your most controversial thing. It's not you, controversial you, at all. Like it's not up to the public don't you to have, suffer through your kids. But don't you have no, noise canceling headphones? It doesn't matter. Dude. Oh, it doesn't it matter. Does you're so inconvenienced. That's the thing. It's you're like so inconvenienced. The thing is that like it's your not life, my job. Your, li- your life on that plane is difficult. It's not my job to have noise canceling headphones because oh. you raise your kid with an iPad. Poor Just guy. Keep, keep quiet. It's simple. Like I, I always knew if I if I didn't stay quiet, my parents would be like, "There's hell to pay." There are consequences. There's no consequences now. <laughs> it's just you and your iPad. God. You know whoever oh, can never, You know who never has to deal with this. Oh is the Secretary of Transportation, Mayor Pete. Oh, yeah, because he's got 25 private flights. Yeah, I Fox, saw that. Fox yeah. News reported today that that guy flies private everywhere, thanks to the taxpayers. Which I was reminded by a friend of the program, Matt Whitlock, mm-hmm. that they ran the Secretary of HHS out of office, mm-hmm. Price. They yeah, sure Tom did. Price. They ran Tom oh, Price shit, right, out dude. of office with this like expose investigation over at Politico in 21 flights mm-hmm. and they like made him quit because they said he was like wasting taxpayer dollars right 
Meanwhile, Mayor Pete's just like pretty. Wait, like the guy who's in charge of like the FAA and the transportation system yeah. in the United States. Yeah, he can do that. Yeah, he can do that. And That's he, okay. He experiences none of it. And, uh, you know, the only news stories he says is like, oh, he takes a bicycle to the White House or wherever one time. And they're like, oh, look at Mayor Pete. And they follow him in an SUV so they can put the bike in it when he, he shows was, up. It's just <laughs> wild. Ridiculousness. Of this. It is wild. All right, fellas, let's play a game. Let's do it. It's Thursday, and that can only mean one thing King of the Hill. Holmes, you have our champion, Jennifer Rubin. I do. She's on a heater. Real heater. I think she's won four in a row now. Yeah. Um, Smoke, who are you bringing to the table? Sherry Jacobus. Ooh, Sherry, my Sherry. Sherry, my Sherry. Okay, well, let's go ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. It's time for King of the Hill. In the red corner, fighting out of a Twitter account and an undisclosed location. Kami Cherry Jacobus! And now, in the blue corner, fighting for now from the Washington Post and current Champion of the world, Jennifer Brainworms, Ruben! I love I the love twist. It. There was a little twist, a little new wrinkle. Yeah. Uh, I think it was an homage to the layoffs at the Washington Post. Yeah, I see. I see. Uh, that video was so incredible of yeah. like the Washington Post dude being like, okay, you're all fired. And Jones <laughs> be like, you have to take questions. Like, this is not a press conference. Yeah, right. Go to HR and get the fuck out. <laughs> This is not a press conference. This is your future. <laughs> yeah. I, I like that they grilled him harder than they've ever grilled uh, Jean-Pierre. There you go. They were yelling questions. Yelling like, them. Like, like they did. <laughs> but the best, part, the best part is, and somebody tweeted this, I don't know who, but it was like, how funny is it at the end of the day when you have like actual journalists that get fired and they have to look around and see Jennifer Rubin still manning her desk. <laughs> right that's got to hurt. I mean, that's that, got to hurt. That stings. That stings. Well, speaking of which, she is our champion, which means you have so to I'm up first. Yeah. Listen, I got some bangers this week. She's okay. just fantastic. I'm going to lead with this one because this is my just personal favorite. I love it. Um, Right, bright and early, uh, you'll recall that the New York Times reporters went on a strike last week, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, they didn't play the Wordle. She's, that was their solidarity. She, she says, I reluctantly give up yes. Wordle <laughs> yes. for the day to honor the virtual picket line. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, this was one of my favorite tweets on the whole thing. I reluctantly give up Wordle. I mean, it's just so perfect. It encapsulates everything. Yeah. Everything. All right. So uh, this is a fucking nuke from Sherry Jacobus. Reminder, she was ostensibly like a conservative yeah. at some point. So this take on guns is just... I'm just going to get right into it. So she is, quote, retweeting. This guy says, uh, Dr. Mike Davis, what exactly did Kyle Rittenhouse do for the Republicans to make him a national celebrity? Sherry, quote, retweets this, he killed for them. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. Holy shit. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> what a dead. For them. For them. For them, dude. Oh, my God. <clears throat> like, if I were to create an insane parody account of the left, I couldn't accomplish it that hot. I mean... 
<laughs> Here's the thing: the 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 Jennifer the Jennifer Rubin is this holds a special place in in my heart because there's nothing I love more than journalists pretending like they're dock workers or long, you know longshoremen <laughs> out there, right. you know, sweat on their brow right. on the picket line, yeah, and like but like. Like their moment of solidarity is like we're not gonna play the word jumble, you know. Like, it's like just such abject weakness, and they expect people to be like, "God bless you." Wow, God Incredible bless you, courage. You are Pete Seeger, <laughs> <laughs> you know. It's, but they won't play the word jumble. Uh, um, you know, <laughs> like unions used to actually perform acts of terrorism to 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 get leveraging and bargaining and now it's don't play the word jumble uh, um you know coal miners like we're in shootouts in harlan county and you're not playing the word jumble like hey think about that well it's it's truly a perfect encapsulation of the out of touchness of jennifer Rubin. yeah it's, just, it's lovely not to mention the fact she was like anti-union for the right. first half of her <laughs> career <laughs> but all, I say that you know all of that's all well and good, but I just do not think it can compete with he killed for them. That no, is so and insane. for that reason, Sherry, my Sherry wins round I'll, one. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I argue my stuff to the hilt, but uh, brother, there's not much you can do with that one. <laughs> that is a nuclear bomb. And that's the thing is like when I pick these, the, the idea is not to go with just like standard like you know, wild random things that Sherry comes up with. These are very directed nukes. Like yeah. she really went off I, and I've got another banger for round two. Uh, Sherry Jacobus. And this is, this speaks so much to like the cognitive dissonance that you have to master to be on the left at this point, because it's just, it, it goes beyond hypocrisy where it's just like, you have to be a complete mental basket case. Sherry Jacobus binds presidency and Pelosi's leadership as speaker are an argument in favor of extremely experienced elected officials. This means they may be older. But bench warmer do nothing fossils like Chuck Grassley are a waste of space. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Dems good, but Republican bad. <laughs> oh man. Okay. All right. So Ruben tweets out a column from the Washington Post that, you know, I mean, they've gone through like a, a month of of reverence over Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. You know, and like what a amazing human being she is. So she tweets it out <clears throat> and writes, Pelosi unplugged, unapologetic, magnificent. Period. <laughs> I got this in two rounds. Magnificent. Damn. Magnificent. Unplugged. Unplugged. Like she's fucking Nirvana. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Unplugged. And then, you know what? Let me just tell you what the story was entitled. Okay. The story was entitled, Pelosi's Blunt Talk About Abortion Rights Skewers U.S. Bishops. Wow. She's, the, she's like the Catholic, right? The practicing Catholic. And she's like talking about abortion and like, you know, ostensibly from a progressive view truth to power to a bunch of people who have religious views. To the Catholics. Right. Yeah. Who, who she is a, uh, supposed to be amongst. Right. Which is, I think, an added wrinkle to all this. Pelosi unplugged, unapologetic, magnificent. 
Magnificent. <laughs> Magnificent. So really, that's a stretch word there. I mean, I don't. At no point in Nancy Pelosi's life, I don't care what it is that she was up to, could the word magnificent ever apply? Right. I want to read this again. Read it again. Biden's presidency and Pelosi's leadership as speaker are an argument in favor of extremely experienced elected officials. Biden, as most folks can recall, literally knows where he has zero idea of where he is and has handlers direct him to like the podium and then back to the side. Right. Uh, But that's experience. Meanwhile, Chuck Grassley, who runs God knows how many miles every day, wakes up in the morning, goes ham. Oh, well, well, Grassley's a waste of space. I mean, that kind of a take just so encapsulates the problem that the left has right now where they've got no no basis to stand on any logic. Right. There is no partisan hack. There is no logic. Uh, I just, I don't think it's Sherry's top shelf. And I, I think Magnificent really does it for me. It's Magnificent. And it, for that reason, I think Holmes and Jennifer Rubin win round two. Okay, we go to round three. This is big. Five in a row would be big. I, I'm, I'm. You are on the precipice of greatness. It's not happening. I saved. The, I'm cycling, I saved the best for last. I'm not cycling happening. between because I've got like two or three heaters. Here. You got to bring the best, dude. Because this is this is an incredible take. Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with. So Elton John tweeted out last week yeah. that he's leaving Twitter. Oh, <laughs> right. Uh, he says, uh, like, all oh, I have tried uh, to use music to bring people together, yet it saddens me about misinformation or whatever. Yeah, so yeah, therefore yeah. He's, blah, 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 yeah, blah, 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 blah. No one cares. No one's going to miss you. She quote tweets it. Other entertainers wanting to protect their imagine would be wise to follow. So we've got a couple things here. I mean, that's just terrible. The first is she's urging other entertainers to boycott Twitter, clearly, mm-hmm. because of whatever nonsense right. this is. Two, she has, I don't even know what she's trying to say. Maybe their image? Yeah. I, I don't I don't know, but that's not what she said, the imagine. Right. Is she leaving? She's not leaving. Oh, okay. In fact, she's been quite prolific this right. week. Right. Her big sacrifice was not playing the wordle for a day. In the, fi- in the five days that Elton John has gone through, where she's urged all entertainers to get off the platform, uh, she's tweeted magnificent to use her her own word her magnificently over the last week all right here's a nuke sherry jacobus at elon musk just disbanded twitter's trust and safety council he's an enemy of america democracy (laughs) and basic decency he did not create twitter not bright enough good enough creative enough or smart enough Musk is a chaos agent. He's evil. All time. Yeah, oddly pedantic. A bore. <laughs> not, not bright enough. Not the, bright enough. The, the guy sends rockets into space. P- PayPal. Rockets into space. Tesla. Yeah. He's not bright enough. Sherry Jacobus is saying he's not bright enough. Sherry's a huge IQ critic. That he is, knows IQ. <laughs> that is an incredible comeback in the last round. A hook that knocks out Jennifer Rubin. We have a new champion, folks. Thank God. I can't complain. It was a nice run by by Rubin. I knew deep in my heart 
that if there was anyone who was going to be able to take her off this heater, it was going to be Sherry. Yeah. I mean, that was an insane run. Sherry, That's my insane Sherry. insane run. That's like a Jordan-esque run. Oh, I'm going to have to repackage for next week. But anyway, uh, listen, let's get to this interview. You're going to love it. Senator-elect Eric Schmidt. I want to welcome to the program uh, a guy you've heard here before. He's a good friend of the program. We had him on right away as he was a uh, primary candidate. And now he is a senator-elect Eric Schmidt, welcome to the program. It's good to be back on the program, Josh. Big fan. It has been a while. It's been a while. A lot of, lot of water under the bridge since the last time we've spoken here. On oh, Rome. my God. What was that? Like May of 2021 feels like a lifetime ago. Yes. It was a lifetime ago. And I'm sure you've you've lived and died 100 times over that, that time period. But in the end, success? Yeah. No, it was great. I mean, it was a crazy... Um, 21 person primary here in Missouri. I mean, it was the the biggest, most expensive we've ever had here. Cause you know, Missouri had traditionally been this kind of bellwether state and it's trended, you know, a little bit more Republican. And so it drew a, a large field with an open seat and uh, we ended up winning by, um, you know, 24 points. I think yeah, it was, it was a real point. squeaker, Eric. It was- well, it didn't feel that way all the time, <laughs> by the way, but, uh, but no, it was good. And um, I think, you know, we were pretty consistent, right? Like we were been taking action. We were the, you know, as the AG, we've kind of led the country on a lot of these big, important lawsuits, whether it was the OSHA vaccine mandate or the border issues or ESG. A lot of these issues that were in the public sphere, uh, we were right in the middle of. And that's the, you know, we talked about those issues that, that mattered to people. And so the primary um, was, a, was a big win. And we had a late primary in Missouri in August. So you roll right in. And uh, ended up running against a, a, a billionaire, which is always interesting. Yeah, that's, that's a tough, <laughs> tougher assignment, yeah. right? But you know what? It was um, it, it was a real contrast in in backgrounds and beliefs. You know, she was an heiress to the Anheuser Busch fortune. Coincidentally enough, my dad worked the midnight shift seven days a week at Anheuser Busch when I was growing <laughs> up, and when I was also. In summer, in the summers when I was in college, I gave tours and took out the trash at the estate that she grew up on. So there was an interesting kind of, you know, uh, clash of backgrounds. It was this, you know, you probably growing never up highlighted that, right? I mean, I can't. Well, no, never, never talked about it. <laughs> but um, but it drove the press, the 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 uh, the corporate media nuts, right? Because it was this conservative Republican who had these blue collar roots running against uh, an heiress of a of a fortune who was this, you know, uh, kind of an elitist. So anyway. We ended up winning by almost 14 points, I think was the final tally on election day, uh, although we were outspent like three to one. Um, but we just were consistent. And you've been around these a lot, Josh. It's just um, there's nothing like running a statewide race. It's my my third. And you really get around in Missouri, such a culturally diverse state, um, depending on where you're at. And so people are great. And it's the honor of a lifetime to go to represent them in the United States Senate, honestly. And so it's it's very humbling. Yeah, well, you did it the right way. You ran a great campaign, but you also, in the end, were rewarded for the hard work that you have done and were doing. It, it sort of worked out, right? It doesn't Politics, it never perfectly works out. But in your case, like you said, you were involved as the attorney general in all of these issues that are sort of bedeviling not only Missouri, but the rest of the country. And you were doing the hard work, right? Uh, you, yep. weren't, you weren't out in front of the cameras and trying to sell books. You were actually trying to make lives a little bit better and reveal some problems that we had in this country. And in the end, people recognize that, which has got to feel pretty good. Yep, it does. And so uh, I'm looking forward to the next challenge. Um, my time as AG has been... Um, it's been, I think, uh, 
consequential. It's been important um, and it's been the best job I've ever had. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to taking that same kind of fight to the Senate now. Yeah, well, you're well-trained for the job because all the issues that you were talking about and involved in litigation with and everything else are still very much on our plate. And in fact, I think becoming more so in a lot of ways. And one of them that I wanted to bring up with you and I actually called you about last week to to talk about was this, this lawsuit that you were in against the Biden administration on the potential coordination between tech and government and it was a very different way of looking at some of the problems that are now coming to light with the Twitter files, right? And Elon Musk and and he's beginning to expose some of the decision making that was done at Twitter specifically that I'd be real surprised if it doesn't end up in that same bucket here as he gets to the bottom of the well of what they've been up to in terms of government interaction on these things. But you guys took this head on in a lawsuit that is now sort of become public over the last week and in, in, in the depositions and everything else. Where, where do you want to start with this? Yeah, so we filed it in May, Josh, and it, it really is a landmark lawsuit in the sense that it, it takes a, um, a different angle at this. I think for a long time, people have understood, suspected, and now it's been completely revealed um, that big tech often acts uh, as a proxy right for the left. I mean, censoring conservatives, um, everybody had a real suspicion of that, but this is the first time anybody's ever had a chance to look under the hood. And one of the reasons was, you know, a lot of times if a lawsuit has been filed, it ends up in the Northern district of California where these big tech companies are headquarters. And it really doesn't ever see the light of day. We took a different approach, um, you know, taking the, um, um, you know, listening to somebody like a Jen Psaki say at stand at the podium, say, Hey, we're flagging this stuff for Facebook, by the way. I mean, they were like very out in the open about it. So, we called them on it. So we filed a lawsuit with the Biden administration coordinating with big tech to censor speech. And for me, you know, the First Amendment is the beating heart of the Constitution. You know, we believe in this country that we don't resolve political disputes through violence. But, you know, we have a robust debate. Well, one of the you know, obviously it's the First Amendment. So to protect that speech in the town square or the virtual town square is really important to the republic, right? Whether you agree with what somebody has to say or not, it's just really important. And so we're seeing that, you know, that bandwidth kind of narrow through big tech and the government doesn't get to outsource censorship. What would normally be illegal for them to do directly, they don't get to outsource that to their partners in big tech. And so what this lawsuit has done now is establish that direct coordination. And so the best way to look at it is probably in three different buckets. When we filed the lawsuit, when we were seeking the initial injunction, we were very aggressive in seeking discovery right away. And we were successful in that. So some of the things that we learned was, you know, high ranking Facebook officials text messaging the Surgeon General of the United States saying, hey, we took that down. What else can we do for you? A special portal for the government to connect with big tech. They had weekly censorship meetings. And this centers around principally the COVID stuff, mm -hmm. uh, but also the Hunter Biden laptop story and some of the election stories, right? And so you saw this direct coordination. So that became clear. We also got the green light then to take the, the Anthony Fauci deposition, which was right before Thanksgiving, which, you know, that- yeah. it, I made it, some news, my friend. Made a little news. And it was fascinating. It was seven hours. Uh, we were, you know, up in Bethesda, NIH, taking the deposition of the guy who proclaimed to be this all-powerful, all-knowing, you know, being who proclaimed he was the science, right? I mean, this guy, 
said, I don't recall 174 times in that deposition. It was very interesting, the questions that, you know, his response is what he knew and didn't know or could recall. But some of the things that we did pull out of that, in addition to, by the way, you can't make this up when the court reporter sneezed, <laughs> he asked her to wear a mask. I'm not even making this up. In November of 2022 here now, this is the mentality of the guy who was in charge of all of this stuff. And they had, you know, Fauci candles made. I mean, it was just insane. So anyway, we take the deposition and I think a few things become very clear. First of all, they went into um, very quickly went to discredit anybody who was, you know, talking about the lab leak theory, which is, of course, the most plausible theory yeah. uh, in most scientists early on agreed with that. He was privy to a document that had five different drafts that went from being very open to it to dismissive of it. Hmm. You know, and I think everybody can understand why they were funding research at the Wuhan lab. Yeah, and the gain of function research that Rand Paul was all over that they all called him a lunatic. Absolutely. And that was a coordinated effort um, uh, that then was outsourced to the media that, you know, has been established through that deposition. Also, what's really interesting, Dr. Lane, was who was his kind of lieutenant, was dispatched in early February of 2020 to China to observe what the Chinese communists were doing. And he came back with glowing reviews of lockdowns and these really extreme measures. And Fauci was completely on board with that stuff and almost sort of unapologetic about it. And it was bad enough for everybody. But, you know, if this guy would have been, you know, kind of unfettered in everything that he wanted to do, who knows where we would have ended up. What's so funny is you, as you're describing this, I mean, we, what we experienced as a country is the lane for Fauci expanding from an expert on transmissible disease to setting social policy and economic policy and just somehow being allowed to go do that. Right. Well, and he was, um, I think he enjoyed it. I mean, that was very clear. His ego is oh, enormous. And I think that's honestly, you know, the next piece that we got into in the deposition was about masks. And, you know, here in Missouri, like I sued 47 school districts for the forced masking of five-year-olds because it wasn't based on science. God it, bless was based, it, it was, you know, it was based on power and control. And so you see this evolution of Fauci in February, literally February of, 20, of 2020, a friend emails him and we had the email that we confronted him with a friend emails him saying, Hey, I'm traveling. Should I be wearing a mask? And his answer is no masks are ineffective. Like, why would you, you know, be wearing a mask? And yeah. literally every, every study that's presented to him essentially between um, then until early April said the same thing, but he does this about face and talks about how masks are essential. And then, you know, uh, mass mandates become um, the way of, of the world and, you know, COVID tyranny is born and that's how it happened. And then this guy continued to sort of uh, make this stuff up as he went along and destroy what was his it. answer for the, to the evolution, by the way, did he say that like he it, it, new evidence that suggested like in mass that it may have some effect? Like how does he, well, even it's interesting. You talk about the social experiment. One of the reasons he said initially was he was afraid there was going to be a run on masks. Yeah, which, and they wouldn't which, be around for healthcare work. I've heard, I've right. heard. But, but but what's interesting about that? What's telling about that? Again, it goes to this idea that he wasn't willing, and a lot of the quote unquote experts experts weren't really willing to level with the American people on a whole number of topics. Right? They had all the answers, and we weren't smart enough to make these decisions ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that was, if you get into the mass debate that was going on in schools, or whether it's the vaccine debate, right? Give people the information. That's what these quote unquote public health 
folks should be doing. Give people the information and let them make the decisions themselves. Mandating, like through an agency like OSHA, which was created to make sure forklifts beep when they back up, right? Right. To have them require 80 million people to get the vaccine uh, is insane. It's nuts. Wow. They had no authority to do it, but that's where we ended up, right? And you were a villain if you questioned this. And so Fauci and his comms team were communicating directly with big tech. We learned, by the way, in that deposition that Fauci's daughter worked for Twitter. That was a, you know, so I mean, it's just so, so all these things are kind of happening and, and they're telling people what they can say on social media and being deplatformed. And by the way, not just folks who had a political perspective on these things, but scientists. And these people are some of the folks now that Elon Musk has sort of allowed back onto the platform. And through the Twitter files, we're seeing even more internal communications about the process by which Twitter, and I'm sure if you did this with Google and Facebook, by the way, you'd have a volumes and volumes of other stuff that would shock people. But um, Twitter in particular about how they were you know, throttling posts and people and taking folks down simply because they were questioning, you know, what Anthony Fauci had to say. And that's just in this country, that's a scary proposition. I don't care what your political stripe is. The idea that the government um, would be censoring speech ought to, you know, scare the bejesus out of everybody. It's terrifying. And then there's another layer to it, which of course, it's not your, your specific litigation that this gets into, but you know, when you think about the Googles and the Facebooks, this doesn't necessarily apply to to Twitter, which has a whole different set of motivations that Elon is now uncovering. But if these other big tech, it, it, also from the very same platform where Jen Psaki says that they're flagging these things for Facebook and Google and, and what have you, she's also saying, basically, you got a real nice platform. It'd be a shame if something happened to it, right? Yeah. Where they come out with these you know, antitrust measures or what have you that are, it's yeah. sort of like the hammer, right? I mean, you do. Well, it's an important, that's an important thing too, Josh, because that's part of, if you're making the case for state action, which is what you have to show, right? For this kind of first amendment violation, mm-hmm. because big tech, I mean, you know, there's a bunch of reasons why what they're doing might be wrong. It violates the section 230 protection they've been given, which should go away. You don't, you know, you're supposed to be a platform, not a publisher. That's one piece. It might violate their internal terms of service, which they were changing by the way, at the behest of people, you know, in the government, including, you know, the FBI. But, you know, what came up in in another deposition of Elvis Chan was it was his belief, by the way, that Democrat staffers who were serving on the permanent select committee on intelligence went to Silicon Valley and did that exact thing that you're talking about, which is you guys need to change your quote unquote content moder- moderation policies or else. Or else I mean, hit you with something irrelevant, but equally damaging to your companies. <laughs> exactly. Right. And so you know, again, the government doesn't get to threaten you take this person down or, or everything Fauci says should be accepted as gospel because, you know, you mentioned the mess. What was his, what was his, you know, rationale for that? There wasn't. Right. There, there's no, there is no peer-reviewed, legitimate study that will show you that masking is effective in any real way. It's not, but it's been held onto as sort of this virtue signaling piece that you, you know, might care more than somebody else. Now, look, if you want to make that decision, I, I was said all along when we were involved in this litigation, if you want to wear eight masks and walk around a park all day long outside, God bless you. It's America. I mean, I think that's nuts, but right. you to do that in this country. You have a right to be nuts. Yeah, you just don't get to tell everybody else that's what they have to do, you know? And so, and then when the government gets involved, I think that's what's really, really terrifying. Well, I, you just, you hit the exact point, 
right? Where there's there's all kinds of anxiety on the conservative side about big tech and about sort of the migration of corporate America into this larger woke context and all of that. And, and everybody sort of conflates the issue. But what you've done is pull out what is 100% the biggest threat to the country, which is a government that uses its power to essentially dictate to the public square, the virtual public square, what it is that you can talk about. And right. I mean, that is literally why the First Amendment exists. Exactly. I mean, it's the exact reason why. And when you get into sort of the next phase of this, which was the deposition that we had just a couple of weeks ago of Elvis Chan, who was... This is the FBI uh, guy, right? The FBI guy that was in charge of essentially um, the social media platforms. And so his testimony was effectively that um, leading up to the 2020 election, he was having um, monthly and then weekly meetings with all of those platforms. And he talked about um, what could be a, you know, a hack and um, hack and leak operation, Rus Russian disinformation, all that sort of stuff. Meanwhile, um, in those meetings, um, Yoel Roth, who's the whatever the integrity guy at Twitter, that's now starting to get a lot more attention yeah. for some of his his beliefs. But the you know the sort of the thumb that turns, he was turns out he wasn't a fellow traveler. He was not on the <laughs> yeah. He had his own <laughs> point of view, right? Um, but anyway, so he says in in an FEC complaint that was filed, essentially that hey, Twitter had you should report some in kind contribution here. Uh, he puts in an affidavit that you know the FBI told them that, you know, to be on the lookout of this Hunter Biden story. And so if you take those two things together, Josh, it's essentially that they had the computer, they had the laptop, the FBI had the laptop in 2019. They're telling these social media um, companies to beware of disinformation. They know that the laptop isn't disinformation. But according to Twitter executive, they're saying the Hunter Biden laptop might be coming and that's disinformation. So when that happens then, and by the way, uh, Miranda Devine at the New York Post who breaks the story, says that the FBI had access to her email. So they knew when the story was going to be published. So right. if you think about that, if you put that all in its proper context, again, that ought to terrify everybody that the FBI, the government, was that involved with that story that ultimately got suppressed when people should have been able to see that and make their own determination of the weight of it, the merit of it, whatever. But Why, there are Why did they have access to Miranda Devine's email? Because they, because of communications that she were having with other characters that were under investigation. Oh so, my lord! For the so, people, who, so sensibly you could infer people who were trying to pitch the story. Correct, correct. Yeah. And so, but but the point is, they're aware of it, right? They're warning these companies, and they know it's not disinformation. They know it's real, uh, but yet they're warning um, these social media platforms about it. And then, of course. The social media companies, and, and including um, mainstream media companies, go along with it. It fits oh. their theory. And that's when this this the Twitter file stuff is so fascinating, the first batch, because, and by the way, it's also worth pointing out, you, could, you can't make this stuff up. Jim Baker, who was the general counsel for the FBI in 2016, and we kind of know what was going on in 2016, yep. right, is the general counsel then for Twitter in the fall of 2020. I mean, the funny thing is, is like you get the impression you hang around long enough. The same Democratic operatives are always in the middle of everything, like from the beginning of time. Right. It's like right. Incredible it's how they're always still there. It's unbelievable. And um, and so obviously, you know, Elon Musk, I think, becoming aware of this fired Baker last week. Um, 
but the tentacles obviously were pretty deep in that organization and uh and confirmed honestly i think more than anything the twitter files have confirmed what we've sort of been able to uncover in our lawsuit that people instinctively were suspicious about right that this was all too connected and um so you know the lawsuit i think is important it'll continue on i mean i'll be a, a former attorney general by the time this thing ultimately gets um resolved but i do think it's going it to play a very important role as it does right now of of shining a light on this stuff yeah. and then also as a jumping off point for whatever investigations that might follow because i do think this stuff needs to be pursued this just can't happen again it just you can't have the government that much in bed with some of the biggest companies in the history of the world and that's what these big tech companies are so um i think musk has got it right hey let's have this be an open forum an open platform agree disagree whatever that this thing is for but it's not some you know social engineering experiment where you tell people they're not being shadow banned but that's exactly what's happening behind yeah. the scenes well and that's the, that's the thing right in the end everybody tells you these things are not happening and so people you know even with financial interests and organic marketing on platforms and stuff they take them at their word and obviously you know it wasn't true Right. And if you don't have, honestly, people are going to be aggressive like we were on the lawsuit or Elon Musk, the you know, one of the world's richest guy, you know, buying a company like this and exposing it. Everybody would still be being called a conspiracy theorist for this stuff. But it yeah. turns out that a lot of this stuff is true. And and like I said, um, I think that's what we need right now is people who are willing to kind of stand up, call it out and then let the chips fall where they may. Well, I hope your work continues on this in the Senate because you've got not only sort of a sober legal approach to it. But you have a, a deeper understanding than you know most lawmakers and most activists who are just you know frankly pissed off about the outcome and don't understand sort of the the basic reason why this is not just about censoring conservatives. I mean, this is a threat to our democracy itself, right? It's, yeah, the, it's the foundation of the country. Yeah, I mean that's the irony is that you hear so many folks on the left talk about these quote unquote threats to democracy. Yeah, the government the government censoring its citizens you know, exercising the right to free speech actually is the real threat to democracy, right? But, it's uh, the reason why we exist, right? I mean, it's why America is America. And uh, and you've pulled that out. Listen, Eric Schmidt, I'm so happy that you are going to be a senator. You're going to do a great job. You've done a whale of a job as, a, as an AG. Stay in touch uh, because as you get your committee assignments and everything else, I have a feeling you're going to be giving a lot more of this to light. We'll do. And uh, tell the rest of the crew, I said, hello, you guys do a great job. It's always fun listening. So thank you, Eric Schmidt, ladies and gentlemen. So he, he, first of all, he's a great guy. He's been a friend of the program. Like the first time I ever met him when he came in and said he was thinking about running for Senate, he was like, hey, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a minion. Like I, I, I love Ruth's nice. variety program. So awesome. So I was like, immediately I fell in love with him. Right. But then you start looking at his work and I was like, wow, this guy's a super serious individual. And then, you know, you watch his campaign, he runs an incredible campaign, wins uh, in a very contested primary, and then just blows out the Democrat in the general, as one hopes one would do in Missouri. He just hits all of his marks. But then you look at the stuff that he's talking about in terms of litigation as an attorney general on behalf of the people of Missouri, and it's a perfect translation into all the stuff that we're dealing with mm -hmm. on the national. And, and what I love about his take about assuming the Biden administration between because of the the big tech alliance he just gets it right in a way that almost nobody else gets it because what he's put his finger on is the only thing that matters you can cry baby bullshit about you know whatever 
principles that you have on, you know, whether Trump should be on a platform or not on a platform or on the Democratic side about whether or not certain things can be said or not. What's a threat to our very republic is a government that pressures the information flow yeah. to only include its desired language. Right. Mm. It's horrific. That yeah. in and of itself yeah. is so unbelievably important. And that's, he just like took an arrow and shot it right mm-hmm. through the middle of all the bullshit and got right at it. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, Missouri is the show me state and here he is already living up to the motto. <laughs> there you there go. There we go. There, look at Nice bow on it. Let's smash go. wrap it up in a neat little package. <laughs> I got to say, speaking of a neat little package, absolute banger of an episode gentlemen thank you so much for our guest thank you center elect eric schmidt so until next time minions keep the faith hold the line and own the libs we'll see you on tuesday stay ruthless